all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Welcome to Cars and Comrades podcast. Today, uh, I don't have anything very clever to say because we just decided that I'm going to do the intro. So this is my intro. If this, this would just be the intro. Anyway, today we're going to be talking about um, motorsports in the Soviet Union, uh, which Brandon was kind enough to uh, research for us. So it should be a fun, uh, fun topic um that we'll get to after our car updates and uh with us today we got everybody here so uh zach brandon and bryant uh how are you guys doing doing well hey. hi i'm i'm all right sweet uh well that is the intro it is done <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> to the point um I knew you so, could do it connor i believe yeah, it's it's been a while since i've done one of these I had no faith in you, but I was pleasantly surprised. You really wow, that's just... bars really low then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, I guess we'll go. Uh, I don't know alphabetically. I think Who's... that's correct. Yeah, that's okay. Brandon first. Then yeah, sure. I did everything because I'm laid off right now, so I'm not going to like even get into crazy details with everything. I just. Uh, I started working on my van that I'm restoring uh, a little bit more earnestly. So I have got the bumpers off and dropped the gas tank and I'm starting to do some sheet metal work for it and remembering how much I hate doing sheet metal and <laughs> all, all that. Wait, so which van was this? Uh, th- it's my 1965, uh, or I'm sorry, 1969 Chevy. Okay. Uh, yeah. The 65 is the one I'm building to drag race. The 69 was my daily driver for a long time. But it had se- so. I thought the seventy-five was. I have a seventy-five, and that's been my daily driver for the last few years. Oh, okay. You, you underestimate how many vans I have. <laughs> well, no, I I was over <laughs> or underestimating how many were running and usable. <laughs> uh, the sixty-nine is actually running, but it was it just had so many issues compounding one on top of the other that eventually, like it just had to come off the road. This is the one where the windshield's completely rotted out on it. Yeah. Yep, okay. And that wind, one of the leaks in the windshield was pouring, like was literally funneling water from the drip rails directly onto my fuse panel. <laughs> so needless to say, it has electrical problems too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I bet. By the time I took it off the road, literally 40 to 50% of the time that I started it, I had to climb underneath it and, and jump the starter. Oh God. Like to the point where I had, I made myself like a special little tool to do it with. And then eventually just went to Harbor freight. Cause they have like the little uh, button jump things that you can buy hmm. and just put ring terminals on one of those. So that like I could put the key in the on position and then hit this auxiliary button and the engine would start. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, the no four pans, like it's it's in rough shape. But the 
the more I look at it, the more I'm realizing that it is a lot of work, but all of it is doable. So I just have to do it. Okay. I also found a guy who had custom dies uh, cut for his pull max just to do a windshield channel, which was the big hurdle on this. Yeah. So he, I think he might be an older guy because he's incredibly bad at texting. I hear from him like, <laughs> I'll text him and hear back like a week later. That sounds like me. Well, it gives me the green light to start working on other stuff, though. So if it takes him three months to get me the, the window channel, that just means that I'm three months further along and everything else. So, All right, sweet. Uh, yeah, I'm not really all that upset about it. But I started working on that. And I started... I don't know if you guys are ready for this. I started working on something not made in America. Whoa. Uh, oh. Yeah, uh, I have an old Honda chopper. Okay, cool. That hasn't run in a few years, and so I rolled it into the shop and started taking things apart to see what all it needed. And uh, the answer was almost everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, brakes, in like the the intake boots are rubber, so they dried out and cracked. Um, I'm putting all new electrical stuff in it. Um, my clutch, or I'm sorry, my uh. Master cylinder for the front brake had seized up so badly that the bolts just sheared off when I tried to undo them. And no amount of work, like no heat, no penetrant, like welding things to the screw so that I could like try and back it out. Nothing worked. So I just ordered a new one. And that's when I remembered why I love Japanese motorcycles. Um, because you can't look at a part for a Harley for less than like 150 bucks. And I bought everything that I just mentioned and more for the Honda, and I've almost gotten to a hundred dollars. Hmm, nice. Yeah. So, like, like a new voltage regulator, ignition coil, wires, uh, plugs, master cylinder, brake pads, all that. I think I'm at ninety bucks. Damn, that's right? really good. That's Dude, great. Almost, it would almost sell me on Honda stuff, except that like. I don't know if you spend a hundred bucks on like a Harley part, then it's still worth a hundred bucks like 10 years later or more. That market's yeah, but like that's, super weird. Yeah. But that's, that's kind of the problem. That's a problem though to, in my head. I also just genuinely like Harley's better aesthetically. Like they're stupid. I get it, but you know, yeah, I like what I like. like about them. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, I've, I've never been unclear that, like, my politics might be leftist, but my taste in automobiles is wildly reactionary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, re reject mon modernity, embrace Harley-Davidson. <laughs> uh, which I am doing, because I'm also about to start working on one of my Harleys so I can get ready to sell. Because cause my new goal is, is to be down so that all of my vehicles, motorcycles, cars, vans, everything... I'm trying to get my number into the single digits by the end of the year. Ooh, oh, nice. That's a that's an ambitious goal. Yeah, because off off air, what what did we figure out? I have I approximately twenty vehicles, something like that. Yep. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's I just unfucking manageable. I think you'll be very happy when you sell some of them, or you're going to sell a lot of them at a loss, I'm sure. But you know, it's well, four of them. I'm just our our junkyard like parts vans. So I'm just going to continue stripping off all the parts and then scrap them. Yeah, that's that's probably a good call. Yeah, um, that was always the plan with those. Uh, I bought them for that purpose, but I, I need to like follow through because right now they're just taking up a bunch of space at a friend's house. 
Oh, so not your not your place. Eh, not that big a deal. <sighs> I mean, he's super chill about it, but he did hit me up the other day that like things are going to have to start moving in the next couple of months. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, that 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 tracks. I should probably do that. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So that you know that that that's me. I I basically fully disassembled the motorcycle and have gone through all the carbs and everything, but I can't really start putting things back together until the parts come in. Ooh, one one thing I will say that is super cool and it feels great is that I haven't worked on any of my motorcycles very much in many years. And man, if you want to feel like a great mechanic, continue learning, but don't work on something. <laughs> when you, dude, everything that I like I, that I just know I would have struggled with horribly like five years ago. Like, oh, how do I do this? How do I do that? I don't know how to do any of this electrical stuff. Now I'm just like ripping stuff apart because it's all super intuitive to me at this point. So like, it feels pretty cool. Well, that's cool, yeah. yeah. Feeling good about myself is not something I'm used to. It was nice. Hell yeah. So yeah, that, that's me. Hopefully I'll have a motorcycle next time we record. Good shit. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Bryant, uh, how about uh, how about yourself? What what you been up to? Well, um, what I have been doing lately is catching COVID, so that's been fun. Um, and that's been fun. Yeah, no. Um, if you know me, uh, you know I'm one of the more like paranoid and like germaphobic people out there. So uh, you know, if it hap- can happen to me, you know, it can happen to anyone, I guess. Um, but yeah, at least I got the uh, the good experimental drugs, the antivirals. I'm on some you know cough syrup and stuff right now, so sorry if I'm a little incoherent. And also, my microphone broke, so I'm recording this through my phone right now. So. Sorry if it sounds like shit, but um, what have I been doing? Uh, on my cars, on my Sabaru, the uh, a bunch of like um, bulbs went out, and I'm hoping it's not like an electrical problem. I think they just all kind of died around the same time. So um, yeah, like I had some cheap uh, LED fog lights on the front, and those crapped out on me. So I got the slightly better, slightly less cheap. LED fog lights, and then one of the uh, low beams went out, so I just replaced both of them, and uh, found a pretty good deal on on uh, some you know fancy Sylvania uh, bulbs. And then I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but it's got um, in the same housing as a low beams, it's got like a little smaller bulb that's like a um, like a parking light or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. daytime running light sort of deal. Um, I replaced that with an LED, which is way brighter than the OEM bulb. So I'm not sure if that's a good idea, if it's actually going to be aimed properly. I might just switch it out for, you know, regular incandescent or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Um, See how it goes. Yeah. Doesn't seem like a terrible idea, necessarily. I mean, they're definitely not like projector headlights. They don't have, like, the sharp cutoff that, you know, a modern headlight has. Yeah. So I'm just afraid of blinding oncoming drivers. But, um, yeah, okay, well, that's no good. Yeah, I don't know. Check it out at night, see how it looks. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy with a Subaru. Well, it's kind of just comes with the territory, I think. <laughs> yeah. I drive everywhere with my high beams on. <laughs> Do you have one of those light bars also? <laughs> no, it's just that, like, all of my vehicles are old, so even my high beams are not as bright as, like, regular modern headlights. 
Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I had that trouble with my moped. That thing was like six volts, you know, flashlight battery or something. But uh, what else? What, uh, a couple of the light bulbs in the dashboard went out. So, like, when I'd be driving at night, I couldn't see, you know, how fast I was going or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's um, so no good. So I replaced those. That was pretty easy, actually. It's just, you know, you got to take, take the cluster out. But uh, on my MR2, I, I think I talked about how I did polyfill bushings. So basically, yep. I or polyfilled um, motor mounts. So I had have two sets of motor mounts. One that you know looked a little bit older and crustier than the other ones. So I'm like, well, I'll, I'll take the old ones and I'll do a little experiment. And I've seen other people do this where they get um, it's like adhesive for like roof uh, shingles or something like that. This um, polyurethane, and it's like you know seven eight bucks a tube at Home Depot or something. So I, I filled the cavities in the, um, the rubber mounts with that polyurethane. And, uh, I mean, it, it seems to work. Like, it's, it's definitely, like, you get better throttle response. You don't feel the engine and trans pitching around. Hmm. But it does have a good bit of more vibration than stock mounts. And especially, like, at certain RPMs, like, different parts of the interior will start rattling because it hits the resonant frequency. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> at, like, 750 RPM, the steering wheel is vibrating. You know, at, like, 1,200 RPM, the little um, glove box door is rattling, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's not so good on a 35-year-old car that, you know, has seen better days and... Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I guess my tip is if you want to do polyfilled bushings, uh, make sure everything's screwed down real tight. Oh, and the other thing is I, I had a small crack in the windshield, which has now gotten to be a big crack. So I think all the vibration might've had something to do with that. That said, I, I picked up some, uh, polyurethane suspension bushings and I'm going to put those in whenever I have, uh, time to take it apart. Uh, probably in the winter, you know, in the in the fall or whatever, when I start driving the Sabre more. So that'll be fun, you know, getting all the old rubber bushings out. I don't know if I'll use a hydraulic press or, uh, you know, burn them out with a blowtorch or what, but I don't know. That'll, I'm sure that'll be a fresh reason to, to swear and throw tools. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Nice. No, not too bad then. Yeah, good job. Yeah. And uh, um, hopefully I'll have time to edit this and put it out on time. Because I don't have to be at work tomorrow. Oh, well, at least there's that. But you yeah. do have COVID, so if you're not feeling great, it, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I might just uh, take some more cough syrup and pass out for like 14 hours. But Our 30 to 50 listeners can wait one extra day. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hope we don't. I, I can't imagine we ever give off the vibe that we're like organized. We're <laughs> not. In case you're thinking, oh, they just say that on the show. No, we're we're not. We're not. Wait, we're it's, not what? I... We're not organized. It's it is a miracle that we put this on at all. <laughs> that yeah. this show somehow comes together. <laughs> um, okay, I guess that's uh, that puts puts it to me then. I haven't uh, haven't really worked too much on vehicles as as per the norm. Um, car still the Z still runs like a piece of shit. 
which is very unfortunate. But I think I'm going to try and maybe this week, if I can, after work someday, I'm going to drive over to another tuner uh, that's kind of somewhat local to where I'm at. Um, And I'm going to maybe try and have a conversation with them about helping me troubleshoot my issues. Um, I think part of the problem is just the tuning shop I've gone to, I don't think is really interested in solving my problem. I think they're interested in, you know, like they do a lot of Jay-Z motor stuff. It's like Supras and all that shit. Um, And big horsepower, cool, super duper builds. Um, And I think when it comes to most of their VQ stuff, I think they just want to charge people a thousand bucks for two hours of work. I'm I'm pretty, pretty sure that's what they want to do. And so now that they've encountered like not that, I think they're kind of just like, oh, I don't know what to do. So, yeah, I'm going to try and get a second opinion, I think, which is not what I want to be doing, but you know, it is what it is. Um, hopefully the other shop figures it out and then, uh, I will be pissed and I will be railing against capitalism some more and saying, see, this is bullshit. Why didn't the market provide me with the best product at the best price or whatever? So yeah, uh, seems like a market failing to me, but, uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, someone, someone will be there to tell me that that's just not how it works or whatever that I don't oh, know. Oh, trust me. There have been bad mechanics under communism. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So yeah, anyway, I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated with that. Um, I've paid a lot of money uh, to be driving uh, around in a piece of shit. I'm, I'm not pleased with it. So that's yeah. been my MO for years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true of me too. Although this time I spent considerably more money than I'm used to. So, I was like really hoping it wouldn't be this way, but uh it is. So, learn from me. Don't don't think it's going to go well. It's probably not. On, on my project van, the one that I bought before I knew how to do more work myself, I one time added up how much I had paid other people to do on that van, and I swore to myself that I would learn a lesson from it. And that lesson was to never do the math on how much you've spent on a car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's uh, that's that's, ugh, that's a good lesson. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, that's where I'm at with that. Um, but in other, you know, better news, um, uh, I did just move. So we're finally in the new place. Still have like a couple things over at the old place, whatever left to move and whatnot but uh you know it's, it's kind of slow going but uh the new place is pretty cool uh have a lot more space and i also for the first time in my life i have a garage that i can use for cars oh nice. shit congrats yes yes it is a one car garage in a townhouse so it's not like big on space but it is a lot more than i've ever had so like i could theoretically do some basic maintenance stuff with a garage. So uh, the the problem there is it's now time for me to actually start buying my own tools and shit, which is a big investment. So um, I'm like, Ugh, more money to spend, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm happy to have my own space to actually do my own shit. Cause before this, it was like, if I wanted to do my own stuff, I had to go over to someone else's house or I had to do it on the street. And that gets, 
uh, sketchy real quick. So, um, so this is a big upgrade. Uh, I now have a garage. It's time for me to go buy some tools. Um, so I'm going to probably do a little bit of a shopping spree at Harbor Freight. And I know <laughs> there's definitely people cringing right now. And yes, I know the quality is bad, but I am not very wealthy. So I'm <laughs> I would argue that you're in the specific position where it is best to buy Harbor Freight tools. Yeah. 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 It's just because I can buy a bunch of cheap shit and when it breaks, I can replace it with something better. But like, just I'm going to wait till it breaks. Well, hold on to the receipts because they'll sometimes replace them if they break. I forget what their warranty is exactly. Mm. I'll have to look into that. Um, I I know one of the standard that I got from Harbor Freight 10 years ago that I'm still using. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I got like a, a power drill and an impact gun from them. Like, and it works just fine. You know, it does it's not the most torquey thing uh, for an impact driver, but it works. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, I think there's a, uh, it's a little bit of uh, both. Like sometimes the quality isn't as good, but like also sometimes it's just, they have a bad reputation, um, which is in the interests of more expensive tool makers to, you know, I uh, will perpetuate. say, do not bother wasting your money on ratchets from Harbor Freight. I've never had a ratchet from them that lasted worth shit. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. not that I, I don't need any ratchets at this time. Like, I, I at least have that. That seems like such an easy thing to fucking get right, though. Uh, I would. A lot of Harbor Freight's shortcomings are, are metallurgical. Like, their hmm. motors will usually run for a really fucking long time. But, like, they use lower quality metals. Yeah. Um, yeah. A good example is that I have body hammers from Harbor Freight, and they just get damaged so much. Like, the with a body hammer, you really want, like, a, a good, smooth surface, and they get marred up really quickly because they use a lower quality metal that won't hold shape as well. Hmm. So, I think that when they make ratchets, they're just, use, like, for the ratcheting mechanism, they're using lower grade materials, and they just break. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to keep that yeah. in mind. I've had a couple of things break on me uh, from them, like uh, circlet pliers. Uh, you know, don't get them from there; they're awful. Um, a pickle fork and like a like a box end wrench just snapped. Um, you know, usually it's the bolt that snaps and not the wrench. But um, yeah, in that case. But I was going to say another place to get good tools. Uh, so I've heard is um, estate sales and uh, pawn shops sometimes hmm. have good quality tools that are just old you know yeah built well you know 40 years ago and it still works it'll keep working for another 40 years probably yeah or I if think... it was built poorly 40 years ago but all of the ones that were really shitty have already broken and only the good yes. ones are left <laughs> yes yeah. exactly survivorship <laughs> bias <laughs> Uh, there's that there's, I mean, I think one of the biggest things I'm going to need is I, I finally need to get like a low profile floor jack. I think that's going to be, which is going to be pricey and I don't want to spend the money on it, but like, I think I need I think it. They're only a hundred bucks at Harbor Freight and the one I've got works pretty good. Hmm. Also have the low profile high lift one from Harbor Freight and it works pretty good. Yep. I've got two you have, from Harbor Freight ones in there. Do you have, have like a the, link for that? Cause like that, like low profile and high lift seems like a really good that's what i need i think um yeah just go to harborfreight.com okay all right (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, all right. I, I see where this is going. Anyway, I, I, w- I will say I bought the steel, not the aluminum one, and holy fucking Christ, is it heavy? Yeah, yeah I bet. I'm gonna yeah. see. I might go for the aluminum one just because it might be um, it might be worth it to have something that I can take to the track easily enough. Because like changing tires at the track with the shitty scissor jack is not super fun, and uh I'm starting to notice my age already, and I'm I'm only just about thirty, and I'm like, man, this is it's a lot easier to change these wheels real quick when I was, you know, in my early to mid twenties than it is now. So, yeah, might might be nice to have a a good floor jack that I can bring to the track that isn't too heavy and obnoxious. Yeah, just might not want to trust their jack stands. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't know. The jacks work okay. Are the jack stands? I mean, I, I do need jack stands. I mean, how, how do you? They've fuck had that numerous up? recalls. Do you not yeah. know? About <laughs> I do not know about this. Okay, I should probably stay away from those then. They recalled a bunch of their jack stands, and then like two weeks later, had to recall the ones that they replaced them with or something. Yep. Okay, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't like it wasn't like oh, they're kind of you know not manufactured really square on the feet so they're wobbly you know like the pin was snapping and they were just dropping like in a second oh that's bad oh, i thought it was the uh, weld was breaking so the whole structure of the foot was like giving up structural part of the jack stand was just coming undone in an instant and they were slamming to the ground yeah. I, I can't remember specifically which one it was but yeah it was catastrophic failure all right i should i should definitely avoid that although i i I have to admit, there is that like voice in my head that's like, well, if they recalled the recalls already, <laughs> chances are they got to have fixed it by now, right? <laughs> I guess yeah, you can find some jack stands made by someone else for the same price. For the record, <laughs> I still use my Harbor Freight jack stands. I mean, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> All right, well, rolling the dice there. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's cool that I have a garage now. Uh, I am excited to have that, and uh, I might be able to do more shit. So, yeah, yeah that's me. Your turn, Zach. Yeah, I can't remember when the last, what the last update I had <clears throat> on my truck was, but I know that I had mentioned that I was gonna be pulling the transmission and swapping that torque converter out. I got that done, and that part went well. Uh, but then it was idling really roughly and not driving well and throwing codes, uh, which Wait. is super annoying on a '93 because it has. OBD one. It doesn't have OBD two. Oh, so I I did find an OBD one reader, um, and went through the whole rigmarole of getting the codes off of the truck. Uh, with that, and it honestly just sent me down a bunch of different wild goose chases trying to figure out what the problem was. I had an extra idle air controller just laying around. I swapped that out. That didn't seem to change the rough idle, changed the plugs, fixed an exhaust leak, um, which needed to be fixed either way, but the plugs were like brand new. So that sucked. Uh, but yeah, I did just like so many different little things trying to figure out what the fuck was going on after literally all I did was swap a torque converter. And now it's like, it was running great beforehand. Let me put that Hmm. out there. It was idling and running wonderfully. It was just shifting like shit, and I could hear a loud ticking coming from the torque converter. So I was like, well, what the fuck did I do? 
in pulling the transmission out and putting it back in that, you know, is causing it to idle roughly. So I spent way too much fucking time trying to figure it out. And turns out uh, the fucking O2 sensors were plugged in backwards. <sighs> left bank was on the right side. Right bank was on the left side. <laughs> yeah. And of course the connectors are like in between the back of the block and the firewall. So I'm like laying across my engine bay with the throttle body, like digging into my ribs. I had a bruise <laughs> on my ribs for like a week. Cause it took me like an hour to get my hands back there and get them apart and just swap them over. But I was just so fed up. I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to lay on this engine for an hour and try this. Cause I have nothing else to lose. Like I had done everything else in my power. Nothing. It, like it just made no sense. I was so fucking at my wits end. I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to try it. Maybe they're backwards. Wouldn't that be stupid? Yeah, <laughs> they were. And it was, <laughs> it was fucking stupid, but got it done. Um, so well, yeah, trucks, trucks on the road, been driving it for a little while now doing all right. I mean, uh, good shit. Yeah. It's got, I fixed the AC system on it. Uh, so now it's got working AC. Uh, oh, shit. yeah. Nice. Fix the, fix the four wheel drive. On it, it was just um, the little engagement motor on the back of the transfer case was bad. Like 30 bucks, 60 bucks for a new one. I can't even remember. Oh, that's not too bad. Nah, it wasn't crazy. And uh, yeah, swapped that one out. It's got four-wheel drive now. It's actually turning into like a decent truck at this point. So now that I've said that, it will <laughs> Yeah, tomorrow. you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to continue to just be hopeful that it stays... As good as it is right now, because yeah, it's actually doing all right. I did have to go to the uh, the emissions place because um, I was mentioning before we started recording that I have been driving around with expired temp tags uh, that expired in like November. <laughs> so I went to the emissions place to like get that taken care of so I could get some plates on it, and um, they like turned me away immediately because they're like, "Yeah, we can't do the emissions on your truck." If the exhaust doesn't go like past the rear axle or at least out the side, and I was like, well, shit, I guess I got to do something to like make them able to hook onto this. So I got uh, an adapter and a piece of flex pipe from the auto zone across the street and stuck those on there. <laughs> so now I got a nice custom exhaust on it too. Nice. <laughs> yeah it's super high quality <laughs> hell yeah but yeah you should put stacks on it oh like dude the that would honestly be pretty cool and it would definitely fit the vibe of this truck um i would probably have to pull the topper off to do that though and i really like the topper maybe i could do uh, it like yeah. coming out the side there you uh, go. next to the bed so it, like follow the back edge of the cab all the way up yeah that's an option i think that only works if you have a step side though yeah, or whatever it's called, flare side. Stepside was the Chevy brand name, and uh, flare side I think was the Ford name. Okay, mine is neither of those. Fleet so side. Fleet side. Yeah, that's what it's called when it's just like the smooth all the way across. Oh, okay. Or straight or whatever. Fleet side. Well, that's what mine is. But yeah, I'm uh. I'm pretty happy with the truck as it sits right now. Honestly, it's, it's doing all right. It's 
got terrible gas mileage, which kind of fucking sucks, but I mean, it's got 33s on it and a V6, so <laughs> it kind of has a hard time getting moving. Can't really blame the truck for that. Time to swap out that rear end, man. And also, I guess yeah. the front end. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably needs to be re-geared. Honestly, at this point, I think I'd rather just try to uh, put some smaller tires on it. But, yeah. It's been going good, so I'm all right with leaving it how it is. I don't want to fuck with it too much. <laughs> like, if I start fucking with things, it's going to shit the bed. Understandable. Yep. If it's going good, sometimes it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to leave it the same. I'm going to drive it every day. I'm not going to clean it. I'm not going to do nothing. Yeah. Not going to pop the hood. Just, <laughs> just don't do any of it. Put gas in it and, and just keep going. We'll see what happens. <laughs> That's the plan for right now. I, uh, I am probably going to get a new door and fender here soon. The nice. one the one junkyard that has them, though, is only open like Monday through Friday until like 4 p.m. I fucking hate that. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's a pain in the ass. Like, when... oh, cool. I'll take off of work to go to the junkyard. Great. <laughs> yeah. Who has like free time during <laughs> that time? Nobody. Like, if I'm Everyone's going to the junkyard. In this economy. Yeah, exactly. If I'm if you're going to the junkyard, you're like you, the last thing I want to do is take off time from work because I probably can't if I'm going to the junkyard already. I'm not yeah, the CEO. Exactly. Oh, you, okay. Come on. Yeah, I'm not yeah. flush with cash. Uh, uh, the one right near you. Oh, I guess I shouldn't say what uh, suburb you live in or whatever. But um, yeah, whatever. I know there's the you pull and pay is uh, open on the weekends. I don't know if there's one near you. Yeah, um, I've been to both of those, and I like going to both of those. Um, it's pretty convenient, but I don't like painting, so I was just waiting to find a truck that was the same color as mine. Okay. <laughs> I'd rather just not have a mismatched color panel. I'd rather just not have the fender and have a bashed in door than have the wrong color. Because <laughs> I don't know, I'm weird like that. I, it oh, look me. who's too good to be on this show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm above you guys, all right? I don't put mismatched panels on my fucking 30-year-old piece of shit pickup. I'm too good for that. Well, now's a good time to learn how to paint. I think I'm going to be oh, learning sorry. to paint. I'm going to be learning all over again. I, I I knew how to do it when I was, a, you know, 17, 18. I, I did some painting on a car, but I have to relearn it. I got some rust spots on the Z, and now that I've got a garage, I'm like, well, might be time to experiment with fucking painting this shit. Shit, I'm about to do a tour and visit all y'all motherfuckers because I'm actually like buying a bunch of HVLP equipment and and everything so that I can do like professional, like good quality paint jobs on my vehicles once I'm done patching them up. Oh, oh hell yeah, yeah man. Fuck yeah, yeah. Both my, my cars shit, look dude. awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm thinking I'm gonna try like before I put my rear interior in, which I've promised my partner I'm gonna do this year. Um, <laughs> Um, it's been a thing I've just been driving out with no rear interior in the car for like years even though I have all the all the stuff to put it back in I just haven't uh, so I promise I said this year I'm gonna do it I promise you um, but before I do I think I'm gonna try and like find a spot in there just to like fucking practice on and like work through it and make sure I know what I'm doing before I do the exterior stuff but I'm um, really just practicing like I know how to do basic just paint shit, but like trying to make it blend in. I just want to know what I'm getting into before I do it or something. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's always harder when you're butting up against existing paint. If you're not going to respray the entire car, trying to color match and everything, that seems like yeah. And I got a couple. Sometimes I have a couple rough spots. I have a bunch of rough spots on the roof of the Z, and it's like I kind of just want to like do that. I don't know if I'm going to do the whole strip or if I'm going to like just sand down those specific spots and try and blend them all. Um, but it's even if it doesn't look perfect, it'll be better than having like rust there. Dude, there's no better look than like regular paint on the body and then like low rider style panels and metal flake and lace and shit on the roof. That is true. I I would I want to get some practice just doing the basic shit first, but I do, I would like to do something wild someday because honestly, the difference between regular ass paint and like flake and stuff is just like mixing the flake in that's pretty much all it is so and sanding between coats yeah you well you don't sand between coats for metal flake no no uh for metal flake you do a base coat of flake i think it's just like in clear coat and then you do candy paint over it so that the flake comes through but if you sand the coats Mm -hmm. with flake on it you knock down the high spots and it looks weird so hmm. you you really like you don't sand that you you I think I'd have to like look it back up because I'm I'm no expert on paint but I just remember being told that by a few people but yeah I you, mean yeah it's a it's a this is a research shit extensively before I go crazy but like yeah I, I think that you just do like you do the, the the flake and then candy over it and then clear and you sand the clear I thought you had to put the flake into the base coat because otherwise it wouldn't like come through. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No, someone I know um, did, did did their own uh, metal flake where they just painted a car and then threw glitter on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it looks great, like, 60 feet away. But, yeah. Uh, I've seen that on, uh, there's, there's drift cars at the track where they just put in a fuckload of just way too much flake or glitter or whatever. And, I mean, it's cool for a track car, but, you know, I don't, I don't like the look too much myself i am of the opinion that there is no such thing as too much flake and as soon as i have (laughs) the equipment and skill to do that everything that i have is going to be flaked to fucking hell man (laughs) nice Nice. rolling around in a bunch of bass boat looking vans (laughs) 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 that's the guy man that's that's Uh, i like it all right uh, well yeah connor what you should do is is what i did and and just use spray paint over the rest Oh, and well, uh, no. it looks awful, but it's really, really easy. <laughs> I, I have also done that. Can confirm, looks terrible. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna at least get rid of the rust, even if it doesn't look, even if the paint doesn't. Oh look yeah, good, yeah. I'm, the rust has got to be gone. Yeah. yeah, scratch most of it off with like your fingernail or something. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Cars and comrades, official <laughs> offering official car advice. No, I, I used sandpaper at least. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Wire wheel. That's all you need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, probably probably time to talk about uh, racing in the Soviet Union, I, I, I would think. That seems about that time. All right. Um, well, so branded. the first thing to note about racing in the Soviet Union, they did not have any metal flake. Boo. All right. Communism yeah, think- has failed. That's I think it. Yeah. Communism failed. Tendencies. I I no longer want to be a communist. This is pff, no I'm metal flake. Be end caps now. 
Yeah. I mean, look, I can take some of the jokes about communist cars being underpowered and other things, but known metal flake in on motorsports cars, that's too much. Communism has failed. This, this they, joke has escalated enough that I feel like I should point out that I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Fair enough. Continue. All right. So, man, I'm realizing I'm rusty, man. I haven't I haven't uh, hosted the episode in, in a while or like done my own topic or whatever. This was like kind of a weird one to research, man. There's just not a lot of fucking information out there about it, except for like the one uh, Formula Easter League and like a couple of like tangentially related things. So this will be a pretty quick, quick and easy one and done. I feel like it's worth mentioning kind of the because we were talking off air about like how it is difficult to find information on some of this stuff. And we were kind of just talking about how a lot of this is probably just like partially due to like a language barrier. And, you know, it's one of those, it's hard to do, understand the history of countries, which you don't speak the language of, because like not everything gets translated. Like there's just not a lot of people translating, you know, uh, soviet motorsports stuff like it's just if you don't speak the language it's kind of kind of lost which it's unfortunate but uh i don't know i think that's worth mentioning because like that's true of you know shit you hear about china or you know i'll have to look up and see if grover fur did any research on racing <laughs> 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 I bet, yeah i'm sure he'll Dude, like language barrier aside like I, I was looking into some of the uh like uh, some some stuff in Cuba because a, a documentary came out a few years back about street racing in Cuba, and like all like the language that people use to talk about anything that happens in a socialist country is just bananas. <laughs> yeah, like one of them, the headline was like something crazy, like how Fidel Castro banned racing in Cuba, <laughs> and then then in the first paragraph it's like well he didn't ban it but he didn't like officially sanction it either (laughs) (laughs) well and it's also like well street racing's illegal here too it's no no sense of irony though well i mean i I was gonna like uh close off with with cuba but it's there's so little to get into we could just get into that real quick there is not racing in cuba uh it is all like illegal street races and the reason for that was was just that uh castro kind of dismissed racing as a uh, like a bourgeois pursuit, which I think we can all recognize is not the case. But when, when you look at like a lot of like formula racing and stuff that was happening on a more international scale. Yeah, absolutely true, man. Like, I could, start a fucking F1 car in your garage. Yeah, I could um, <laughs> look, I can see how, how one reasons themselves to that position. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I get it. Um, hell, even, even car people in the U.S., I mean, half of them are, like, struggling to get through this hobby, right? They're all struggling financially, but they all are also, like, trying to be better than everyone with money. And it's just, like, it's a weird classist sort of thing. Like, it's a, it's simultaneously a working class hobby, but also super fucking classist. And, like, the people with the more with the most money just win. So, I, I, could, I could see... I could see Castro's position on this. I, I, mean, I get it. I could I could phrase it up re- really easily just because I had the good fortune of talking to an old head uh, drag racer in Ohio one time who still races the same car that he's been racing for like 40 years. 
Um, and he straight up told me like, yeah, if I ever have to rebuild this motor or and to, to be clear, like we're talking about a hot rod that runs high eights. <laughs> nice. Damn. And he basically, he told me outright that he could never afford to rebuild the car now. Wow. Yeah. That just yep. ec- the economy was so much different when he built the car in the seventies and eighties and even early nineties that like he could afford to have all of the machine work done and buy all of the like shiny performance parts and stuff. But like, he's priced out of it now. So yeah, I, I think part of that is there's just fewer people doing it, but it is just a general economic trend. Also, um, I also people think don't have the disposable income. I mean, so there's certain things have like inflation goes up X amount, however much, whatever, but certain things go up more than like the traditional CPI uh, or consumer price index. Um, and like, I'm pretty sure the CPI excludes um, housing and cars, or at, at a certain point, they stop. excludes housing because housing inflation was going up so fast that yes. they removed it from the index to make the numbers more manageable. Yep, and it's the same with cars. Uh, I mean, now cars are you're, you're you know any kind of performance car is forty grand. Just like, oh, it's 40000 or more. A, a pickup truck starts at sixty now. It's just like, it. this is what houses used to cost 10 years ago in rural areas. Like, oh, another important factor, and I'm going to say this, and then I'm actually going to talk about racing in the Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> n- nowadays, we kind of, everything that we do, like our whole life is surrounded by like things that we can acquire solely through cheap labor, either through exploitative means domestically or through imperialist means abroad. And so when you have something like racing where you require machine work and like high-end technicians, you suddenly have to like recognize how much skilled labor actually costs. And that's usually Mm -hmm. like, that's something that your average person only really butts up against when home repairs need done, electricians, plumbers, carpenters, et cetera. But in general, like you don't have to face that so much. So suddenly when you're wanting to build a motor and your guy costs a hundred bucks an hour, you know, conservatively for some shops, you know, uh, yeah, hundred bucks like, an hour is the norm now, which again, I cannot stress enough that the workers don't ever see that. They see yeah. sometimes crazy low amounts. I've never made more than 25, no, 23 an hour at a shop like that and we our shop rate was 80 to 100 an hour yeah i got um, i'm sorry i got to derail us real well not even derail us but um the shop that did the porting on my heads a performance shop i saw on facebook like the guy puts up a post like oh we're hiring people who need you know we we want at least one year of um performance automotive experience Blah, 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 blah. All this, all this stuff. They have these requirements. They want people to apply. And somebody fucking comments like, oh, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll let people, you know, I know who are mechanics know. Um, wh- what are you paying? Um, I mean, you know, Amazon starts out at like 18 or 19 an hour around here. So I'm, I'm guessing you're paying more than that, right? Fucking crickets. Crickets. And I, and I could see like that the guy was literally online and this comment was like five days old. And it was like, Damn, dude. Damn. You want skilled labor for fucking what, you know, 15 to $17 an hour. 
Like you fucking sack of shit. Unbelievable. The only, um, I've worked in one garage in my life. It was a performance shop. So I was working there as a machinist and I was super new to machining at the time. But nonetheless, this, this was like five years ago and the guy was paying me 12 or 13 an hour. Yeah, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. I think I, I really do think, uh, you know, automotive shop owners are actually some of the most parasitic. I, they're, they're all they're up, they're up there with landlords for me. I, I think they are some of the most exploitative people because, again, they charge consumers $100 an hour. Where the fuck is that much money going? It ain't going to rent. Come on. They they rent pretty cheap places. I don't want to overly defend bosses. That's not what I'm doing here. I will say a lot more of it goes into equipment than I think most people realize. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, perhaps. But I mean, there's usually not, you know, yeah, an alignment rack costs some money and shit like that. And lifts are not super cheap, but like, I'm I'm talking like if if you're talking high end performance shops nowadays, it's it's like five axis CNC, like like special programs so that you can shave 30 pounds off the block and like CNC ported heads don't program themselves and things like that. Like, um, Oh yeah. I'm well, not even talking about programming shops that are that labor. Good. That's yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not even talking shops that are the, at that level even, <laughs> but that, but like from my perspective of, of drag racing, that's what yeah. you're looking at. If you want to compete. Yep. So you're yeah. talking about a machinist bill. That's five figures. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's not accessible to to most people at this point. But there was a time, even in the Soviet Union, where it was accessible to people. Hey, hey Brent, can I uh, can I go back to Cuba for just a second? Yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry to make that transition, but um, no, I thought that the, transition uh, was really smooth, and then you just took me back. It was not great. Right, I mean, sorry, sorry for me to whatever. Anyways, um. We might do an episode on this in the future. It would be like a little short thing, so maybe uh, in with something else. But the 1959 um, Havana Grand Prix is a pretty interesting story. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have All of my Cuba notes are at the end of this. So, yes. Oh, okay. I actually, we... No, we can go ahead because like, we kind of already broke the seal on Cuba. But yeah, that is a fun one. Go ahead, man. Yeah. Um, well, I'll let – I mean, like I said, we might talk about it later. Um, but just one of the things that I – that I saw. I mean, it was it was kind of a big show that um, uh, what's his name uh, Batista was putting on to try to show the world, look, we're normal. We have everything under control. Like, meanwhile, the the rebels are like controlling half the country and like killing all those cops and stuff. But like, you know, one of the things I noticed while reading about that is a lot of the uh, racers from back in those days, the drivers. Um, came from like aristocratic European backgrounds. Um, so like these are old money people that basically had nothing better to, to do than, you know, um, go racing. Uh, it was not like a poor man's sport in Formula One in the 50s or 60s. Yeah, 50s and 60s. I think Revolution was in 59. So, yeah. Um, oh, I, well, I thought you were about to mention the kidnapping. <laughs> oh yeah, well that was what the episode was going to be about. But yeah, I mean, um, I don't have my notes in front of me, but uh, uh, Fangio, uh, Juan Manuel Fangio, I think, was kidnapped by the uh, the revolutionaries and held for ransom, Based. or maybe they were just trying to fuck up the. Uh, no, the, the it was just, a, if I recall, it was just a flex because they held him for a week yeah. and then let him go. Right. 
and um, and it was kind of interesting because you know he became like pen pals with the revolutionaries that kidnapped him later in life. Yeah, when they let him go, he he, w- he told everybody about how well they treated him and how friendly they were. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then yeah, it was like three months after that when Havana, you know, was taken over by the rebels. Apparently, I, I just learned this uh, reading up uh, last night. I guess there's still an annual celebration of that kidnapping. that's awesome the other thing i was gonna say is i I, you know fidel castro was a huge fan of baseball like i think he tried out for the yankees before he um you know became a revolutionary and so like baseball is huge in cuba and it's probably a lot cheaper to you know have a baseball diamond than it is a racetrack with a bunch of race cars well, that's so. why soccer is like the globally gr- agreed yeah. upon sport, and Formula One's not. <laughs> right. But um, yeah. The apparently there's there's an annual celebration of, of that, and what trying to read up on that that was another thing that was really funny, man. I kept coming up across all of these articles about it, and so many people talked about it in these terms, where it's like they they're forced to admit that the driver did comment that the revolutionaries were very friendly and treated him very well and so so on and so forth but the language in all of these articles is universally like these evil communists who were overthrowing the government but and like i kept finding this language that was just like oh they were just they were just uh, attempting to embarrass the batista government and i'm like (laughs) Y'all kind of like low key defending fascists, like, like <laughs> yeah, you're really glossing over like Batista in general as a person, and then doing this broad strokes socialism bad thing. Like these wicked communists are just being nice to this guy, so people will like them. I know. <laughs> I love. Like trying oh. to gain favor by being kind. What kind of this devious just, plot is that? This just regular old elected dictator. Just trying to have a good old, like, elitist motorsports event. And these evil communists are just trying to over here feed people. <laughs> how, how dare they overthrow this military dictatorship that we sponsor? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to agree that Batista was in the right, but that doesn't justify them using violence. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, just, now I'm having flashbacks to the Oscars because this has been the worst news cycle of my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah. I've heard all kinds of bad takes about that. Oh man, I I Is would never have expected take? that the Oscars could generate worse takes than Russia invading Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> I've I have I have almost entirely avoided the topic. Like aside from seeing a few memes, I've uh, been able to avoid it, and I'm very happy I have. Well, in the Seems... last week, I learned that losing your hair is, um, or making fun of someone for losing their hair is ableism. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I can kind of see it. I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I can understand that being an issue, but I don't I know. I wouldn't call it ableism, but it is a dick move. Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> well, I... I just thought it was funny because when people were just like, yeah, I'll, like making fun of someone for having alopecia is ableism, and I'm like, that's just regular kind of balding. That means that you're really closing off a door to making fun of most middle-aged white dudes. <laughs> yeah. I, uh... No! Soviet racing! <laughs> okay. 
I, I was going to say my favorite take on it is uh, they're all millionaires, so who cares about them? Uh, yeah, he could have yeah. got up there and straight up murdered him, and I wouldn't honestly care. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I would be happy for the precedent that it set. <laughs> Agreed. Another precedent that I'm happy was set is the Soviet Union. <laughs> yes. Keeping us on track. I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to lean into that statement too much. But so uh, actually, like a good place to start at the very beginning is a little bit of a throwback to you, Connor, because how did the Soviet Union even start getting cars? That's right. They they bought equipment from Ford Motor Company and had Walter Ruther and his uh, (laughs) brother come and set it up. That's right. Ford trucks. Um. Yeah, Which, Model you know, A's, I think. Too. Actually, Which, does kind of set the precedent here because they were building trucks. And interesting, what I found out was the the first events that they had in Russia that would kind of tentatively count as racing uh, was basically just early autocross races that started around 1933, and it was just tractors and trucks. That's awesome. Because well, it was basically all they had. At this period of time, like, nowhere in the world was having a car, like, the norm, necessarily. And they had trucks and tractors for farm purposes, for transportation, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, it was, there were a lot of trucks and not a lot of cars, because those things were utilitarian, and cars were a little bit more of just a commodity. Um, But those races got really popular. And so initially the government was just like, well, these people are having fun. Just let them do their thing. Uh, but as it gained popularity, they started to actually sanction official races. And I don't know specifically what year, but in the 30s, um, the Soviet Union started treating uh, racing as part of military training. Now, I'm hmm. not really too fucking clear what that means because... This is not a topic that you can find exhaustive literature on, but as best as I can tell, they were just teaching people to drive well because, you know, World War II was around the corner and, you know, driving is probably like a pretty good activity for a bunch of soldiers to know about. Yeah. I, yeah. I kind of wonder, <clears throat> excuse me, if this was right on the precipice of the time where like, you know, they had wireless communications or, you know, remote communications to some extent, but there was also, you know, encryption and then code breaking. And if there was a really important message that just could not be chanced to be picked up by enemy forces, if they were trying to entrust, you know, basically couriers with this message and thinking, okay, if we can get some dudes that can drive real fast, real good. We can just hand them the message on a piece of paper and then they can get there relatively quickly. And it's much more secure than trying to send this message. You know, it's one of these ways that could potentially be intercepted complete, you know, guess out of left field, just shooting in the dark here. But I mean, maybe, maybe that's an explanation. I have often wondered myself and I've, I haven't thought about this too much historically, but you know, I've wondered for the future going forward. And it's one of these things that I'd like to address at some point through this show is just like in a, in a future revolution, 
what role could like car people play? Like what special skills could we apply to, you know, future struggles? And I think that that's exactly kind of like this, where it's like, oh, it makes sense that the government's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should probably have people who can drive good. Like that seems like a good skill for our military to have. So and and being able being able to fix stuff. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I would actually people think that do... would be a necessary skill because for what you're saying to apply here, they would need some repair abilities because these were no vehicle in the 1930s was especially reliable. Yeah, yeah, right. I uh, one thing I I learned or a couple things I learned from researching a future episode is that, um, especially early in the war when they hadn't like fully ramped up production and, you know, uh, done a lot of engineering and stuff. Um, a lot of the Soviet equipment was really, really crude and had a lot of problems. Like, um, the, uh, I think it was the T-34 tank, the early ones, the transmissions would break all the time. Um, and they didn't also, they also didn't have, um, enough radios to go around. So it was only every fourth tank had a radio. And it's like, okay, you three just follow that guy and, and we'll talk to him. And if that guy gets blown up, then, well, you should out of luck. You just got to figure things out for her. <laughs> yeah, I don't, or, or I, find someone with a radio. I don't think I'd want to be in a tank with a broken transmission on a battlefield. Like, that just seems. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't like that very much. I would like for that shit to be. Point. Yeah, I'd like to be. I'd like for that shit to be super reliable. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They, they did eventually fix that, but also they just built a shit ton of tanks. So Well, that goes back to the whole argument about how the Soviet Union had to like industrialize in about 20 years. And so people were like, oh, they made really shitty stuff. And it's like, well, everybody else had like 100 years extra to kind of industrialize <laughs> yeah. before this. Yeah, eh, not 100, but, you know, they well, were. And also, like, you know, they did they didn't end up like pirating a lot of designs or like copying a lot of designs of, um, you know, foreign equipment, um, which is smart, which I think because... they should be lauded for, not criticized <laughs> yeah. for. I'm like, that's good. Don't reinvent yeah. the wheel. No, er early Soviet union needs to respect an intellectual property. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's but, only bad. What I'm capitalist. Yep. What I'm saying is like, you know, rather, I mean, maybe they didn't always understand why this thing was there. Um, like one thing they did, a they did a, a copy of like the B-29 bomber and because like they were using all metric stuff, um, instead of like Imperial stuff, like the sheet metal that they had or the rivets or whatever were a little bit different size. So the whole thing is like 3% bigger than the American version just because they used the next, next, uh, <laughs> closest size in metric or whatever. <laughs> So, Excellent. like, that kind of shit wow. happens all the time, especially if you're, like, going from, like, Imperial to metric systems hmm. or whatever, or vice versa. The same thing happened uh, when Cuba um, had their revolution. Like, they had a lot of American equipment um, for, like, power generation and, like, utilities and stuff. Um, and they couldn't always get, I mean, you know, the Americans wouldn't sell it to them, so they had to, like, get Soviet stuff and adapt it to fit and, like, you know, take this metric thing and connect it to this imperial size thing and make it work. I don't know. Sorry to go off on a tangent there. I, uh, I think I heard we're we're going to keep uh, going. I, I, I should clarify something that the first events that were officially sanctioned were 1933. 
they had been racing their trucks like for years up until that point. And I, I, I specifically mentioned that because the 30s were when we saw the first Soviet sports cars. Hmm. Um, which one, I did not even know that was a thing until I started doing this research. And two, I had never heard of any of these fucking companies before I started doing this research. But the two of, of note that I saw introduced in the, the mid thirties were the Gaz GL one and the Zis one Oh one. And the, the GL one had a top speed of around a hundred miles an hour. Which wow, back in those days, that's Jesus. It was pretty fucking respectable for like I want to say it was like thirty six, thirty seven that that car came out. Um, so you know, re- respect that. That was the uh, uh, the GL one. The the this one hundred one was oh God. I can't even remember like the displacement, but it was an inline eight cylinder motor. Nice. Uh, and these things just looked like goofy because they were very much of the era. But like built to be more aerodynamic than like other cars contemporary with them. So like they they were pretty silly, but n- no more so than like any other shit of that era was silly. So is, are these like um, are these like purpose built race cars, or are these like sold to the general public? These were uh, accessible or? to the general public. Huh. The, the, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to look these up right now. Uh, the G01. That was what was the company name? Gaz or Gaz or whatever. G A Z. It's a Russian G-A-Z. acronym, so I cannot help beyond that. Gotcha. Yeah, having a hard time finding it, but okay. Actually, it wasn't the the GL1 that looked silly. So maybe I was looking at the other one. The pictures but... of the GL1 i'm looking at there's it's like a it looks like an early ford roadster but it's got a weird bubble top on it yeah that was the one that i saw that just looked silly but you know they were doing the thing and like we said like in 37 or whatever year it was 100 miles an hour was respectable like i'm gonna be honest i don't think i would want to go 100 miles an hour in something that was built in the 1930s yeah I went 75 in a car that was built in the 1960s and I thought I was going to die. So <laughs> I've gone hundred miles an hour in my 69 van and it was terrifying. Yeah. That does not seem fun. Okay. Yeah. So like, and, and I like, uh, we'll, we'll throw it up in the show notes. I'll send you the link, Brian, but I found a whole list of various uh, Soviet sports cars that were built during the duration of the Soviet union. And, Gives you an idea of what was going on. Like they weren't working with nothing. Now, yeah. what the process for acquiring these for your the general population was, I have no clue. But they were out there, man. I'm really sorry to sidetrack again, but I was just looking at the Gaz GL1, and I'm reading something that says that it was built in Gaza. Is that just like a miss? Did you find anything about where this was built? Was this actually built in Gaza? Like Gaza, Gaza? No, it was not. Okay, maybe that's just <clears throat> just a mistranslation or something. Uh, because again, I don't. It was it was all Russian, so even if I remembered it, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it worth shit. But G A Z was an acronym for something, right? Yeah, which uh, makes sense why maybe it got misconstrued. But yeah, um, I'm reading something that says the G L one was built in Gaza in 1938, uh, which I didn't think was the case, but I thought I would check. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is not correct. 
right. Um, okay, so like by the 1950s, Okay, so yeah, the one thing I really want to touch base on is is so 33 was the first like sanctioned autocross event. And the government's approach to this was actually perfect and I think it's a good critique of like the whole Soviet Union authoritarian thing, which is that uh these races started to draw really big crowds and the bigger crowds uh, you know, it didn't force the government to come down with a hammer to break this up. It forced the government to say, like, hey, we should build tracks and, like, actually start organizing this. And so it was, I think it was uh, around the 50s when, like, they started to seriously build, like, dedicated tracks. It wasn't just, like, a mud field with obstacles or whatever in it. And by the 50s, the different types of racing that they were doing was was really growing. They had circle tracks that seemed to have been dedicated for kart racing and like entire factories that were dedicated just to, to building like adult go-karts for racing. Oh, that's uh, dope. Yeah. And like basically like for the duration of this, just assume that if I mention a type of racing, they also probably did it on ice. Not exclusively, <laughs> but everything seems to have eventually gone on the ice. Terrifying. Yeah, like four wheels on ice, sure, but like when we get to the motorcycles, like they were motorcycle racing on ice too, which is just the most horrific automotive sport that I can imagine. It's it's up there with like sidecar racing. <laughs> so yeah, it was, I mean, that's that's next in my notes. In the 50s and 60s, motorcycle racing became really popular, and I couldn't find confirmation of this anecdote, but I know that in the 70s, ice racing was a pop like motorcycle ice racing was a popular sport in America. And I found one source that said that a, they would broadcast Soviet races in America. And it was a really popular sport to watch in the U S because people were big fans of ice racing. And for anyone who doesn't know the reason motorcycle ice racing is terrifying to me is because their tires, especially back then were basically just bolts or studs put through the wheel. And then they would run an inner tube so that it would still hold air. And yeah, so they're they're just digging into the ice with studs and bolts and shit like that. So if you <laughs> fell off your bike and got ran over, it was basically just putting you through a medieval torture device. Like yeah, video footage of someone crashing during a motorcycle ice race is just like watching the embodiment of terror scurry off of the track. Like, they can't get any traction to run, but goddamn, they are desperate. Oof, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, does, that sounds terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> uh, people do it. And, like, I've actually never seen or heard of any really serious injuries, but, oh, it's just giving me the heebie-jeebies, man. Yeah. I, I want to say I saw on TV or online somewhere uh, a film of um, people doing that you know, just a few years ago. And not only did they have just like bolts through the tires, but they had sharpened them into spikes. And then they were racing on like an indoor ice rink, like a hockey rink. I've never seen it done <laughs> indoors, but I'm not shocked. <laughs> uh, I mean, they weren't going super fast or anything because, you know, got what, like a 50 foot turning circle or something. So, but it, I don't know. It looks pretty, pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, it's it's just dicey. And like 
the, the, the thing worth noting is, is as we're progressing through time, these were all spectator events that were wildly popular. I, I found one source that said that almost every single race would be sold out. They would not even advertise races because they said that the crowds were already so large. That was, that was what they were doing to discourage more people attending is just hoping that some people would forget about it. <laughs> but nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a wildly popular sport, and so like this this whole time as as it's evolving, it's just it's doing like it is everywhere else. It's it starts so, out as I mean, one thing. What's up? Uh, I was just you know. So again, so it's kind of just contrary to the version of the authoritarian Soviet Union that were presented that like, oh, you can't have any fun. You have to watch paint dry in your you know, gray apartment building and everything's boring and, and no one has any personality. It's all, you're, you're not allowed to whatever. Contrary to all that, there is actually a deep sense of community and there's actual fun happening. Despite the focus on utilitarian stuff, there's still... And, and that was a lot of what drew me to uh, this research, man, was because it's, as we like discussed off air... It seems like as soon as somebody put a motor on four wheels, there was someone standing next to him. Like, how fast do you think we can go on that thing? And yeah. and that yeah. does not seem to be limited to any one place, man, because it was true in America and it was true in the Soviet Union with them racing their goddamn trucks and tractors. And you know, yeah, something- I think that's that is a an innate human thing to just. I mean, it, it's fun. I, it, I think we're we're built for fun and. Yeah, going fast is fun. <laughs> yeah, and and so rather than do the authoritarian, like, no fun allowed thing, the government said, like, well, let the people have their fun. Like, I, I'm I'm n- not wholly on board with, with Castro's view that this was sort of a, a, a bourgeois elitist thing. But by the time and experience uh, that, like, Castro was dealing with racing in Cuba, like, that was more true. This got its early start. It, it was it was no less grassroots than everything every every racing event in America has proven to be. Like, hmm. you know these these guys were basically just doing NASCAR shit, except that they were just fucking around instead of running moonshine. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So I mean, and, yeah, that's again, it's it's. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's coincidence that uh, most Americans have not heard of any of this. I. I, I it, that is not a it's not just happenstance there, there's oh, a and what we're talking about right now is still the infancy it, it grows yeah dude by the 70s and like i'm guessing that this had to have been absorbed in from like perceiving like culture in america because in the 70s dune buggy racing got popular <laughs> <laughs> nice, and like all nice. of this shit just rules and like around this time, it's it's worth mentioning, and and we're going to get into this a lot more in a minute when I get to the Formula Easter. But all almost all of this stuff is strictly DIY. I, I found some records that indicated that, like, I, I know that there were uh, quote unquote mass produced race cars, but they were very inaccessible to your average racer. There was a factory, I believe, in Estonia or maybe Czechoslovakia that produced go karts for racing. I'm saying go-karts. They all said cart. I don't know if that's like a different real distinction, but you know, just mm. 
probably screaming around town on a 100cc motor or something, you know, whatever. And by the 70s, and this was one of my favorite things, like, so by the 70s, we've got everything, dude. Circle track, autocross, motorcycle racing, dune buggy racing, kart racing. There were still people racing trucks, like old Soviet trucks. And, and the... Yeah, so it just, it stuck around then. And like, well, by this point, um, and again, this was this was one of the things I couldn't find too much to confirm, but this was the most authoritarian thing that I found, you know, quote unquote authoritarian, hard, you know, air quotes. Uh, they started trying to discourage people from racing trucks just because like by the 70s, the Cold War is in full bloom and everyone is trying to look as professional and big boy as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and the Soviet, so the Soviet Union like had all of these like real like types of racing going on, but there was still just like whatever the Russian equivalent of fucking hillbillies are racing <laughs> their their old probably flathead pickup trucks around, and the government's like can like we have real racing now? Can you guys please stop fucking doing this because you're you're fucking embarrassing? <laughs> <laughs> and that was literally the only thing I could find about it was that they were. It didn't fit the competitive image that the Soviet Union was trying to convey to the outside world. <laughs> they, okay, that's genuinely funny. Also, they, they were wrong there. That's see, we got to embrace the goofy shit. We got to be more fun than the capitalists. I think they they never banned it. They just like stopped trying to make that like a well-known thing they were just like uh, okay if, if you have to do this please just do it over there where no one can see you what what a grave mistake like if we could have linked up the alabama hillbillies with the russian hillbillies and had like a you know international hillbilly racing league oh man the cold war would have been over we would have yep we would have buried that hatchet immediately Oh man, I wonder if Russian hillbillies hated capitalists as much as Alabama hillbillies hated communists. God, that would be hard to think about. <laughs> okay, and the one quick thing that I'm going to mention before I move on to Formula Easter races is that drag racing just didn't exist in Russia. Huh. Which I, I'm specifically bringing up as the the person here who is the most interested in drag racing apparently it was like of all the types of racing that would draw thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people nobody gave a fuck about drag racing Damn, it was, these people are based i mean look i like i like drag racing in in some respects but at the same time oof, straight line driving just not as cool well, just dude, not as cool. I don't even especially enjoy watching drag racing, so I, I fully get it, man. I cannot... I think everyone likes to do drag racing, not watch it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but yeah, like, I, uh, I've only been to a couple drag races, and the one that I found the most interesting was when it was just the regular, like, run run what you brung, just anyone show up with whatever. Oh, <laughs> and so you yeah, got, like, agree. like, dually pickups versus Teslas versus, like, a minivan you know, like <laughs> whatever people have. So since, because people weren't really interested in watching drag racing, there were still people interested in doing drag racing and they all got pushed towards doing land speed racing. Mm, okay. And, uh, not quite as cool as it sounds like in, in the most like, like, like a uh, propagandized idea of stereotype of, of Russia uh, the reason why land speed racing never went especially far in 
Russia was because they only had like one site that I could find any information about that was used for land speed racing. It was, it was a salt flat, um, somewhere in like, uh, Eastern Russia, I believe like towards, uh, Asia. And, uh, it had a bunch of minerals in it. So they, they, nobody could race on it because they turned it into a mine or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess I, I don't fully understand. Um, I, I've, I've probably heard it at some point and forgotten, why do they do like land speed record stuff on like salt flats and shit? Like instead of asphalt, you know, a good, rigid, predictable surface. Like why do they do it on essentially dirt? I, I guess I know ne- I've never fully understood that. Um, is... do you have any idea? I, I, yeah, I guess I don't even know if you looked into that at all. I haven't looked into it recently, but I have looked into why in general, I don't remember specifically, but the salt flats are about as flat as you can fucking get and require like no maintenance. Cause like okay, bear in mind that these people aren't racing for a thousand feet. They're yeah. Miles. I can't remember. It's like, I want to say it's up to two miles that some of those cars go. Yeah. And, and also like you can't hit anything if there's nothing out there for miles. Yeah, like even a crack in the asphalt might be a problem at 400 miles an hour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. Yeah, I, I, I like I don't know the hard and fast reason, and probably like it's when even when you look in like the salt flat like uh, land speed record stuff in the U.S., there's really only like two events a year, I think. So I can't yeah, imagine super- that it would be profitable to build and maintain a one or two mile long track for people to do that on. Okay. I, I guess that's fair. I, I want to say that there's like a real concrete reason that they can't as well though. Yeah. Oh, and I don't become they do it at certain times. You mean? No, that like the asphalt doesn't work for land speed racing. Oh yeah. Maybe heat or something. Like, I, I don't know. Like, Oh, actually that, I, that could be it. I, I think that there is less drag on the salt. Hmm. hmm. That seems counterintuitive. I mean, it's you kind of sink down into it, don't you? No, it's hard. It's packed. Okay. Um, I don't know. There's got to be some reason for it. So yeah. I'll, 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 I'll I will look into it and get back to you, or forget that I brought it up. That's pro- <laughs> that probably that one. <laughs> well, remind me, and I'll I'll get to it. All right. But now I'm going to get to Formula Easter racing, which is the only part of this whole story that I could find like any substantial amount of information about. And it also appears that most of that information probably came from one of like the same two or three sources, because every article I found was mostly cut and paste from the Wikipedia, except for like one article. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. But Formula Easter was the coolest part of this story, I think. And it, so that that was the uh, Soviet bloc equivalent of Formula One. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, uh, I couldn't even find a very specific start date, but it appears to have started in the mid to late '60s or early '70s, and continued on for the duration of the Soviet Union. And these were the ones where really. Uh, this is this is where to me it resonates the most even though this isn't a type of racing that I'm personally like especially fascinated by 
I think it's where you you most see that people want what they want and that everyone, regardless of anything else, political ideology included, people are in like ingenious and are going to figure out the way to do the thing that they want to do because they built these cars out of spare parts. Hmm. Uh, all, all of the, like, cause I, I, I forget the, let me look up the specific definition of, uh, I think like, like just the idea of that is cooler than like formula one is cool to watch, but like, it's just like these teams spend an outrageous amount of money on these cars. I mean, just crazy, stupid amounts. I almost think it is cooler to see like something that's like, this is what this team built out of what they had, what they could reasonably make. Like, I think there is something I've, I always gravitate towards more grassroots kind of motorsports myself. Anyway, I just think it's cooler when you're working on a budget, when it's something that's like attainable, whereas like formula one's just like not even it's in a different realm but I, like, I, I agree you might uh soften up on that stance once i start telling you about the power outputs of some of these cars and such but like i'm <laughs> yeah I, I could i could imagine <laughs> i i still think that it's it's really interesting so yeah and and like it was it was it was the same as Formula One. There was discussion over the years of like crossover events, but they could never really come to like acceptable terms. But it was just a single seat, open wheel, open cockpit style. They had you know fairings or uh, wings for downforce, etc. And you know it, it started out as grassroots as everything. By the time Formula Easter became their official like uh, racing league, there were a lot of requirements. Um, sure. everyone had to attend Comic-Con. Uh, what? what? <laughs> uh, the Council for Mutual Economic Assistance, or shortened for Comic-Con, C-O-M-E-C-O-N, was an organization. Oh, oh, nice. That was a good one. I was like, what are you checking up for sleeping or something? What the fuck is this? <laughs> no, I just like had to make that fucking joke because even if you go to the Wikipedia for Comic-Con, the Soviet organization, the first thing it says is not to be confused with Comic-Con. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was just the organization. Like it was it was a, a, a manufacturing thing. Um, and it meant that you could b- put like most of these cars ran Lada engines. Yeah. You, you like you weren't allowed to be the guy who imported the, you know, Porsche or, or Chevy or whatever hot motor. Like, no, like if it was going to be grassroots, it was going to be grassroots and communist. So the most popular was a lot of motor. I don't remember the specifics, but, uh, they were all it, the, uh, displacement was capped at 1300 CCs. Okay. That's cool. I, yeah. I get um, it. So there was a, an inline four that uh, was popular in Lada's that made 70 to 75 horsepower off the assembly line. And with what people described as mild effort, you could usually get it up to about 110 horsepower. Yeah, that's pretty damn good. But like, honestly, when I found out what the restrictions were, I was even more impressed. It was making 110 horsepower and the rule book banned modification to carburetors, pistons and cams. Well, hold on. How did they make power then? I'm I'm now fascinated. How what? 
Uh, my guess would be porting heads, uh, custom intakes, porting intakes, um, doing anything that you can to increase efficiency and reduce um, resistance. Wow. But a lot of it wasn't about making horsepower. It was ma- about making like lighter and a- more aerodynamic vehicles. Huh. Yeah, see, that is that is cool to me. That's... I, that is that is where the uh, the big differences come in, I think. Well, like the the wide like I, I feel like a lot of this is discussing that everybody is is just trying to go fast. The Soviet Union was at a bit of a loss for high quality like uh, uh, consumer goods, sure. and so it wasn't like you like were able to just go pick up a race motor. This was people like people would work for years to source all of the parts. Actually, like I'm, I'm gonna like straight up read the Wikipedia uh, blurb for what they used for parts to build these cars. Do it. Let's... Yeah. So a lot of sourced engines were sometimes connected to Soviet-made cast magnesium Zap Zaporizets ZAZ nine six eight gearbox housing. Load-bearing interconnectors, which made it easier to access and swap out the ratio gears and a pit stop, thereby helping to alleviate the limits imposed by four-speed push wheel or stick shift transmissions. Suspension was usually Hmm. adapted from East German Barkus minivans. Teams (laughs) would fill the strut legs with in-house mixed oils to to enhance performance. Half-axles came from Soviet-made UAZ all-terrain-capable Jeeps and minivans. Deceleration was provided by aftermarket drilled Soviet Lada brake discs paired with East German four-piston Wartburg calipers. Oh, man, that's so cool. Steering assemblies (laughs) were most often adopted from East German Trabant mini-compact cars, but required extensive customization to fit space. So, like, that was, like, the basic, like, entry-level, like, a team would... So I guess now is a good time to explain like the structure. They had different tiers of racing. So like if you were like one of the the more advanced and supposedly the reasoning was as straightforward as a person might want to race but just not be very good at it. So giving them the most powerful car in the country was not a safe bet. Yeah. Like both for the fun of watching and for the safety of people involved. So these were the cars that were most often in the like lower to mid tier races. There were uh, garages in Estonia and Czechoslovakia, both that actually built custom um, formula Easter race cars, hmm. but they were like impossible to get because this was when you were like the official, like high level Soviet sanctioned team. Like you really didn't need anything to get introduced to the racing, but at the higher levels, it was still more accessible than formula one has probably ever been for anyone, but it did get a little bit out. And one of the garages, interestingly in Czechoslovakia is still open and still builds race cars. That's cool. Yeah. There was, there was was just no stopping these people. So there, so there was, you know, there was kind of a, a more grassroots level and eventually there was a higher, a higher level that was more like formula one. I mean, that makes sense. I don't think there's anything strange there. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it makes sense. Like they weren't, I, I think the numbers I saw was they were producing like 500 ish cars a year. 
through like the actual garages. Oh wow, that's a lot. Actually. Yeah, it wasn't that's nothing. Fun. No, so, they, I mean they it wasn't. A... So it wasn't like just a few teams. I mean, this was there were a lot of teams. I want to say there were four classes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and they had a lot of participants in each class. The chassis for these were custom made though, and they would like they would make them themselves. It was it was a tube chassis and then they would do fiberglass and synthetic like synthetic resin bodywork on it. Do you have like some kind of like weight range for kind of what we're talking about here like on these cars? Um I don't. But I did see I mean see, I'd imagine they were light. Well, I saw that like one of the uh on the if I don't have it in front of me, but the 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 list of Soviet era uh, sports cars, some of those things were 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 coming in at around like eighteen hundred to two thousand pounds. Yeah, that's light. So then these so, were probably even lighter. I'm 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 guessing they were probably like, if I had to shoot ballpark range, like maybe fourteen fifteen hundred pounds ish. That's, I mean, that's about what I was expecting. I mean, so, these were basically big go-karts. I mean, yeah. So you put like a little Lada engine in there that's making anywhere near, you know, 80, 90 horsepower or 100 horsepower. You're going to fucking move in that thing. That's, that, yeah, that's quick. I mean, that seems like fun for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was fucking cool, man. Like the... Oh, the the big problem that they had was they had a really difficult time sourcing tires. There were gotcha. like nobody making race slicks, so like you, that was the thing that everybody had the hardest time getting. And the most dangerous thing that I read about was people would use uh, overly worn slicks, like dangerously worn slicks, for qualifying races because they didn't want to uh, use their good tires for qualifying. Yep, that makes sense. So they would just throw whatever would get them through qualifying on so that they could use all the good shit for the actual race, which, you know, that is nothing different than you would see people do now. And Yeah, that's America. what I would do. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I would do that. <laughs> I feel like you've told us very comparable stories in drift racing. Maybe not oh, to a dangerous yeah. degree, but. Oh, I've no, I've done it on the streets. <laughs> I have driven on belts many times. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Oh, yeah, dude. I used to have, like, my wheels would rust sometimes. My tires would get rusty with tires that I drove on the street for, like, weeks at a time. Yeah, it was it was bad. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I used to, I keep, I still, to this day, I keep a razor in my car, just a regular old razor blade that I use to cut off the, um, the ropes and, and the, you know, strings of tire that come off when you drift too much. Um, okay. You can cut those off so that you don't, uh, so it doesn't make the annoying sound anymore. So yeah, I've, yep, that was a thing that I did regularly. I drove around on tires that I would once in a while have to get out and cut the ropes off of. <laughs> oh, yeah. a, a, another thing that they did, and this was, this was kind of an unfortunate testimony to the shortcomings of of Soviet like manufacturing. They all were fairly restricted to that four-cylinder Lada motor, but they did figure out that there was a certain version of the Lada motor that was a higher quality. It was machined to better uh, tolerances and cast with stronger alloys, and it was the Lada motor that they used for export. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, there was a certain, I think it was East German factory where they would build Lada's to uh, export to the West. And so people would like go through a lot of effort to get those blocks because they were considered like the best ones for racing. You know, that's, I don't think that's terribly too different from like the U S market or, or even European markets. Like you talk to some of those like old classic car dudes and like, they're talking about, Oh yeah. If you get a block from this factory, it, it's got this special, there's all sorts of little things like that. So I think that's, yes, uh, I am sort one of, of those just the very, Yes, the <laughs> the variance in manufacturing at the time globally was just like there was variance. Well, the the problem I'm specifically commenting on, and like I I could have I could go on for literally hours about this. It's a thing I've been reading about. Was just a lot of uh, the problems that the Soviet Union was having internally, like with that weren't like massive political problems, but were just sort of a sort of a national malaise. So mm-hmm. like. There was, it was, it sucks that generally it's, if they were making something that was staying in the country, there was a tendency for people to not give a fuck, but they were held to higher standards to export because they didn't want to make themselves look bad. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, and I think the, you know, all countries do that to some degree. Like, I don't know if this is still the case, but I've heard that, I don't know if this is all marketing or, or what it is, but in China, like Pabst Blue Ribbon beer was like a, a premium brand for a while there. And um, same with Buick. It was considered like an ultra luxury car uh, in China. And, you know, like, I don't know, like if that was all just marketing or, or like same thing with like Stella Artois beer, you know, oh, in the yeah. U S it's considered this like sophisticated, you know, European beer and everywhere in Europe, it's like, you know, what you, drink to get drunk and beat up your wife so like that's the stereotype yeah that's i think that is a marketing thing uh around the world because it's especially with beer it's kind of the same thing like corona in uh like mexico was was just like a beer that nobody cared about and everyone's like yeah this is junk beer but then in the u.s it was an import and it was better or whatever so not that uncommon yeah fair enough i Um, mean but there were there were issues in in the soviet union that like and people will point to this like, oh, see, communism doesn't work. And it's like, well, no, it just they hadn't worked through all the kinks in, you know, a few decades. Jesus Christ, cut them some fucking slack. But, yeah, there were some issues with some people not giving a fuck about things. Right. Because they the incentives were not perfect yet. Right. The incentive structure, you know, if you did too well, you got more work. And like so there were real problems in the Soviet Union, things that could very easily be addressed. You know what I mean? It's not like. Oh, therefore, communism doesn't work, which too many people like to uh, point out. But yeah, there there were real issues, and you know, some and minor, some a lot of them were just minor. You know, oh yeah, the quality on this wasn't great. I I often wonder if what China is doing now is the remedy to the problems that the Soviet Union had with that exact thing. And I do not wish to go into that further because that could be an eight-hour-long discussion on its own. Um, Yeah. And I don't think that I'm necessarily right, but I, I think that there's room to have that conversation is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's, I yeah. think it's fair. Yeah, uh, it's I've been reading Parenti and as I'm reading, like, I'm, I'm just kind of like, he's talking about the shortcomings of the Soviet Union. And I'm just kind of like, it almost feels like China is doing these certain things as a response to those problems. 
it's almost like a government is doing praxis. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that for a fact. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, there, back a lot to of nuance there, but yeah, yeah, a lot, and it's a lot of conversation. I, I feel really weird just like glossing over it, especially like yes. with China, because if you say anything positive about China, you have to spend three hours explaining yourself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's you know we're we're about at the end. the The only other thing that I, I came across was specifically there was a race in that was not Russia. It was just the Eastern Bloc countries. Okay. Called the, and this, I don't, this is like hippie as fuck, but it still feels really cool in the context of it being an Eastern Bloc uh, thing. It was called the cup of peace and friendship. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, also, also sometimes called the uh, friendship of socialist countries cup. But it, or the, it was uh, friendship it, and karate for everyone cup. <laughs> it, <laughs> sorry, it's an always sunny joke. Uh, okay, it was it was a, it was uh, uh, the same requirements as Formula Easter. Uh, actually, like as as far as I can tell, the cup of peace and friendship actually predated the formation of Formula Easter. Um, it was started by the Polish Automobile and Motorcycle Federation. And it was literally started with the intention of using racing to unify Eastern Bloc countries. Oh, okay. Wow, cool. Yeah, they had national teams, and it was like the same like formula style racing. And I don't know, man, it, that's fucking cool. Like it, it expanded a little bit in the seventies and eighties, and they had some other types of races. But like, yeah, they it was it was literally just done for the sole purpose of trying to unify those countries and and have everyone like have a sense of peace and friendship i mean which to be fair at the time of course you know you don't hear this often in the west now but at the time to some extent that that was rather successful i mean when you look at how people in those countries viewed their membership in the soviet union it was overwhelmingly positive it was not like i mean the u.s every issue is you know 50 50 split pretty much um and then a bunch of apathetic people but uh in those eastern Bloc countries people overwhelmingly supported being part of that um of the soviet union and i think that i guess part of it was probably because of things like this and motorsports and just cultural exchange that was really just kind of for fun well, as I was reading about this, like I'm talking about the car stuff because that's what our fucking show is about. But I came across tons of stuff that I didn't necessarily realize that were these huge, like national points of pride that brought everyone together in a really unifying way around like, like horse racing was really popular, apparently. Mm. And just, you know, sporting events in general, these were popular ways for them to like have pride in their country and all. And uh, it, because I can't think about anything uncritically, I do wonder to what extent it had the potential to be like eventually a really toxic and like detrimental thing because that feel like that's what everything in the US turns into. But for the duration, I, part of, of me it, thinks that that's just the like that's partially just the US and the West, actually. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with you, but I like to. I like to I, not assume I'm right it. about everything. You should you should question it for sure. Yeah. Um yeah. But very interesting. 
but yeah, like a, a lot the as I, I can't find the list right now, but most there there were five big race. Uh, what the the big article that I found that really was super informative was written in 1977, and that was the only time that I could or the only place that I could find an actual amount of racetracks. There were there were five major Formula racetracks in the Soviet Union, um, and I think it looked like the big as as of 1977. So I'm assuming that they built at least a few more. Uh, one of the biggest ones and most popular was in Kiev in Ukraine, and they talked about putting a formula track in Moscow and the reason that they didn't was that they decided like I, I've seen where people discuss some of these races drawing in crowds of hundreds of thousands uh, these were massively popular events they always sold out so they were worried that doing that in Moscow was going to cause problems in the city overcrowding noise issues and the people of Moscow just didn't want a formula track there, and so they didn't get one. Yeah, that's that's actually very cool. I think that like it seems like they listen to the people. Hey, yeah, we don't. Well, want you want a racetrack? Here you go. Oh, you don't want a racetrack? Good. That's 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 easier to accomplish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you know some people underestimate just like. There was political dissent in the USSR. Like, I, I remember, um, I think one of the first episodes we did was about nuclear-powered vehicles. And there was a, um, a certain nuclear-powered ship. Um, I don't think it was a submarine. I think it was a, an, a you know, above-surface ship. Um, that there were, it, they couldn't dock in certain ports because the port workers would protest having a nuclear reactor in in their port so like they you know the the dock workers union or whatever was like no we're not going to allow that and the government had to listen to them you know hmm. yeah, I, I like i would never um i i tend to paint a very rosy picture of the soviet union because i think that even if if slightly disingenuous it's the logical counterpoint to uh people painting this just like hellscape picture of the soviet union uh, no, no place is perfect, and there's always going to be problems. I think it's important to recognize that for all of the Soviet Union's failings and shortcomings, it had successes, and a lot of them. And this is one of them, man. Like people wanted to race, and they were they let them, and it turned into like a cool thing, and it was kind of DIY and fun. Like I would love it if the government told me like. We can't do everything in the world to help you, but you can build a race car and we'll do what we can. Yeah. I, I got to collect my own parts, but you like, like they had organizations that, and, and I don't remember like the term for whatever political structures, but there were, were groups that were like, you want to build a race car and you've presented us this uh, logical thing. And you have your friends who want to start a team. Well, here are the resources that we are able to provide you so that you can accomplish that. Yeah, that's very cool. That I is can't I can't go to the DMV cool. and say like, "Hey, can you guys give me like a thousand bucks for my race car?" <laughs> yeah, see, I mean, that's I think that's like investing in culture in a way that just does not happen in capitalist countries. Like, it's just not a priority or whatever. Um, but like, didn't the Soviet Union have like some kind of like department of cultural stuff? Um, you know. 
or is that a is that a trope or something? Um, no, I mean there things like that existed to my knowledge. It was something like that that gave people like what like what resources they were able to for for these sort of pursuits. Yeah, that's very uh, cool. I don't know specifically what they would get out of it, even if it was just a piece of paper saying like you're legally allowed to do this. Maybe. But I, I think, I mean, at the very least, some of the higher level teams had official government backing. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's something. That's, that's going to, honestly, that would be the way it has to be. Because if there are not capitalists funding it, there's only one other significant source of funding, generally. Yeah. Um, it, it'd be hard to go door to door, like, <laughs> like really, really <laughs> grassroots. Like, hey, can I have a couple of bucks <laughs> for my race car? <laughs> But I mean, they did it, and it's cool, and it's it's one of those things that I've literally never heard discussed. I, yeah. I I one day we were talking on air, and it came up in passing, and I'm like, I wonder. And that's when I started looking up racing in the Soviet Union, and found out that there was all of this. Yeah, I mean, totally erased in the West. Just we don't hear about it. Also, hyper. There's a reason for that. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Most leftists don't give a shit that there was racing in the Soviet Union. It's not their focus. Um, and I understand that, but uh, I think it's important to highlight that kind of stuff because, yeah, that is a testament to their their successful um, things, which, you know, our, our opponents would never give credit for ever. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important to highlight it. So this was fun. For sure. Good praxis yeah. is recognizing successes and failures. And we hear so much about Soviet failures. Why not discuss some of their successes? And, you know, they let people go fast. I don't know how fast you're going for with 110 horsepower, but, you know. I mean, with, you know, the way they look, they're, they're pretty lightweight. I imagine they're pretty quick, you know. Well, my thinking was like, even though it was a bigger motor, they had the one car in the 30s that could do 100 miles an hour. My guess is that these Lada engines were probably like dialed in enough by the 70s or 80s. And I couldn't even find enough information to know for sure that that's still what they were using come the end of the the racing leagues. So I really don't know if 110 horsepower was like kind of what you expected from these cars or if that was just average or if that's kind of where yeah, they were in the 70s and by the 80s they were you know pushing 200 who knows because like this fucking information is is not out there anywhere i can find yeah yeah i um on the wikipedia it says that a lot after the end of communism a lot of teams converted to formula ford series um which uses like a two liter engine that makes, I don't know, not that much more power. Um, yeah, that makes it sense. Does now. Um, I'm not sure what they were using, what kind of engine they were using at the time. But um, yeah, similar kind of style, small open wheel cars, kind of similar to like uh, Formula V where they use Volkswagen uh, parts, but a little bit, you know, a step above that. No, I've never heard of that. I've only seen a little bit about it. It's, it's, um, Interesting in that it's all Volkswagen engine, transmission, and suspension, and then the rest of the car is up to you, basically, with hmm. you know some some uh, re- regulations on like wheelbase and weight and safety and whatnot. 
But um, yeah, I mean, there's kind of interesting. It's it's another you know formula series where the the premise is that it's more to do with like um, aerodynamics and you know like uh, driver strategy and skill than it is with how much power you have to pass people, which is an interesting form of motorsports. You know, I I always like when they um. I do enjoy the types of motorsports where there are kind of like standard things. Like you have to meet these requirements. You can't all just have the most horsepower. You have to like have a good strategy and you have to like stay within these limits that allow maybe some variance, but not too much. I, I, I always find that uh, pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- there you go. That's uh, that's what racing was like in the Soviet Union. I actually like. I wanted to expand it into socialist countries in general, but uh, yeah, and we did go over Cuba a little bit. Uh, China is a different animal, and racing there seems no no different in any significant way than racing in America. So may- maybe it's something we can discuss in, uh, at a later date. But uh, we're also closing in on uh, quite a bit of an episode already, so. I, th- I think we can do without a whole other huge, enormous yeah. section. Yeah, I think that's fair. But it's fun. It's fun to look at, you know, and I'd like to look at it in other countries as well. I mean, and there's all kinds of different uh, motorsports in other countries as well. The socialist, you know, countries. So I don't. I, there's a lot to look into. It's a big topic. Yeah. And that reminds me, uh, going off of what I think Brandon said earlier, like some of the stuff, you know, you don't find out about it because it's not translated into English. Like, I, I've been reading a little bit about, like, racing in um, South America. Um, and, like, some of that came out of, um, I think I talked about it on the bicycles episode, but, like, people like downhill racing on oh, bicycles yeah. Oh, in yeah. Colombia. Um, like, there's all kinds of other shit that, like, if you can, um, you know, use Google Translate or speak a little bit of Spanish, then you'd find out all kinds of other crazy racing that's going on in South America. That's not really related to socialism unless, I don't know, we could have a conversation about Venezuela. But, um, I, mean, I, I think we're having a conversation like... about human nature to an extent. Cause, yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah. like, like again, that's why I wanted to highlight this because you know, bicycle racing doesn't have a motor and it's still people seeing how fast they can go. And right. there's anthropological records of all uh, every foot race imaginable. Like we all are... It's it's the logical extension that once you give someone like an internal combustion motor that they're going to see what they can do with it, and you know Russia wasn't about to hold people back and say that they weren't allowed to. Yeah, cool shit. So may, maybe that's what our takeaway here is that like uh, Zelensky and Putin need to just organize a race and they can <laughs> they can you know battle it out on the track like civilized Fast style. <laughs> Everything should be decided fast and furious style. So, so the track we make our political decisions one quarter mile at a time. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that that means that you think that we should race in space to discover, not race to space. That's that's over. That's the past. Now we're racing yeah. in space. Yeah, the new space race is in space with a Pontiac Fiero that has a fucking bottle of nitrous in it for some reason. I'm not going to get into it right now. We're not getting into it. Uh, The nitrous isn't for the motor. That's just a propellant. They just open the tank and... They never use it. They never use it once. It's just there. It's... I don't know. 
Wait, huh? hold on. Okay, so I know you just watched Fast Nine or whatever. <laughs> yeah, is it really it a is. Fiero in space? It is. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Unbelievable. Space. I why knew they a... were in space, but a Fiero? Come on. Yeah. Why the a thing Fiero? <laughs> they okay. Here's the thing. <laughs> Everything they do in this movie is like in a Fiero. No, <laughs> that would be better. <laughs> it's so like. Oh my in God. on its own joke and like self-referential and meta and like <laughs> obviously taking shots at itself and its own tropes but they do it in the corniest fucking ways and so they're just like ha ha yeah it's a fiero in space oh, did you accidentally that's watch unbelievable did you accidentally watch fast and fiero with <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like a parody. Honestly, yeah, Fast Nine like is a somebody... parody of a movie that was already ridiculous and absurd. Unbelievable. A human being grabs two chains that are attached to a building and pulls on them and the whole building comes down. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. That's very, that that's very Fast and Furious. That and then survives. Very, yep, that's very Fast and Furious. Yes. <laughs> okay, I thought well, you were talking about two chains to the person there for a second. No. <laughs> Although Cardi B is in it, so maybe Two Chains did make a cameo that I missed. I'd be more surprised if he didn't. Yeah, frankly. Well, uh, on that note, uh, come check us out on the various social media platforms uh, like Instagram and Twitter and Hexbear, Reddit, Facebook. If you're feeling like, you know, feeling brave, I guess. We're not on there super often, but yeah. Well, and I think it's also you know they're the one where they are like, uh, hey, if you give us five bucks, maybe some people will see this post. <laughs> so uh, we're not going to do that, I don't think. Yeah, no, Instagram's kind of the same way. Like, is it? Uh, we yeah, we have a we have a lot of followers, but it is the same few people who see our posts, and it's just like, well, it is what it is. <laughs> Come hang out on Instagram. We're we're there. Yeah, a few of our Instagram followers like talk to me, and uh, most of them seem really nice. So, hi guys. Yeah, most of them, yeah. not all of them. No, well, I'm just kidding. All, all. <laughs> all of the ones you, that talk to us are cool. You know who you are and what you did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh. yeah, so social media and uh, you know, rate our podcast if you like what we do, and I don't know, if you could give us five stars or seven stars if that's what your podcast app has. I don't know, max number of stars. Whatever it is, we would appreciate it. So show show our meme pages to your racist uncle who likes cars. <laughs> It'll be fun. No oh thanks. yeah, yeah. Share our memes to people to car people who are not cool socialists to make their heads explode. <laughs> uh, like all those anti-communists that were, you know, commenting on that one post. I forget what it was. That happens. That was a Everyone's... pretty funny conversation that you guys had there. <laughs> yeah, it's always obnoxious bullshit. <laughs> Just okay. same talking points as you can imagine. Cars and comrades signing off. <laughs> Good night. Bye. Bye. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. When left entirely on its own devices, capitalism foists its diseconomies and its toxicity upon the general public and upon
upon the natural environment. And then it does an interesting thing. It eventually begins to devour itself. If the paladins of corporate America want to know what really threatens our way of life, it's their way of life. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Uh, it's important that we examine the twin forces behind the Biden candidacy. The billionaires and the Bolsheviks. Ha 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 ha!